The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emanuelmora.com. Again, this is what the Holy Spirit writes through Mark's pen. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the, and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves? The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against any, <clears throat> excuse me, anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. We're going to be primarily looking at only up to verse 21. And on your sermon uh, guides, I have three points on there. There will only be two today. Um, and so uh, uh, I just want to uh, give you a heads up on that. Let's pray and then we'll look uh, at what it says. God, we ask that you would uh, bless the, not only the reading of your word, but the preaching of your word, that it would not fall on deaf ears, but that we would be woken up to the, uh, the majesties of Christ and what his mission is for us. And so, Father, would you be pleased to do that? And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. We would never have said this 20 years ago, but uh, my family learned this past week that traveling without cell service uh, can be quite interesting and even frustrating uh, at some points. Uh, 20 years ago, we would have, uh, maybe some of you remember this, we would have gone on like MapQuest and we would have put in where we're going and it would have put all the directions and you would have printed the directions off and you would have had them there ready for you. Or perhaps you didn't even do that. You'd do it the old school way where you'd open up one of those big folded maps and before your trip, you, you'd plot your way of where you're going and then just stick to that. And if there was a detour or you know, something that, that happened that got in the way, You'd either have to pull over or your navigator would, would sort of uh, get you to where uh, you need to be. And if you would have managed to fold up that big map uh, in the way that it was given to you, you'd just you know, put it sort of by your side and be ready to, uh, to take it out whenever you needed to call an audible. Well, as a culture, and my family and I included, we've become way too dependent on uh, stuff like, like Google Maps. Uh, we spent almost a week and a half or so uh, vacationing out in Colorado and, 
And we use Mint Mobile for cell service. And Mint Mobile uh, piggybacks off of T-Mobile. And uh, if you look at the, the, the T-Mobile coverage map there, uh, and if you're driving from Colorado to Minnesota, you would see the, the, the problem there, right? There's a big state in between us that has no service. And that is Nebraska. And um, <laughs> uh, Nebraska has nothing for, for uh, T-Mobile. And we knew this going in, and so I, I, I downloaded uh, the, the Google Maps onto my phone and uh, before we left the hotel. However, when you, when you download your, uh, your directions onto your phone, you have to stay on that route. You can't veer off. Uh, if you do, uh, you either need to know how to get back or you need to have a plan B. And so what do you do if you make a pit stop uh, or you need some gas or you are in the middle of nowhere, which is 95% of Nebraska. If you've ever driven through Nebraska, we used to live there, so we know exactly what that's like. Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't get off the path. That's what you don't do. You go to gas stations that are on the road or you remember how to get there. But that's not the way it always goes. There was a specific town that we were trying to get to uh, in order to, to stop somewhere. Um, but there was a, a detour as well. And when we finally hit some service, what did Google Maps do? It rerouted me. So that we didn't get to the town that we were wanting to go to, but it was making us have a straight path to the beautifully cosmopolitan city of Yankton, South Dakota where there's Highway 90, which is where we wanted to get to uh, in order to get home, but not the town that we wanted to get to. It all ended up fine, but for a while it wasn't really going according to plan. Uh, to believe in Jesus is to be his disciple. To be his disciple, you must follow him. A Christian uh, who is not learning from and growing in obedience to Christ and his word is not a complete Christian. And though that is the case for so many Christians in the church today, they are, they're going through uh, life with no cell service connected to Jesus. They have no paper maps to guide them on the way that they want to go. They figure that they will just get on the road of faith and see wherever the road leads them, and they'll just figure it out as they go. But unfortunately, when we are not following the turn-by-turn -turn navigation that Jesus gives us in his word, we will get rerouted pretty quickly and be going somewhere where we are not wanting to go. One of the major ways in which we uh, get off the downloaded route is when we neglect the mission of God, what he has called us to do. I have been convicted in the last month or two, not just in reading this passion, uh, the, 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 this passage here, of uh, my failure to be connected to God's mission as well as our church's corporate commitment to the mission of God. And what is that mission? It's the same mission that Jesus had in his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, this is what Jesus said about his ministry. That he has come to seek and to save the lost. 
Many of us have, had, have made the mission about us. And when we get to the heart of God and to the mission of a Christian, we find that our purpose is not to build ourselves up. Our purpose is to be a light unto a dark world that does not know the Lord, that at this point does not care to know the Lord. But our mission is to make him known. So today we are placing ourselves in ancient Israel's place who had forgotten to open up the map, who had forgotten to write out directions and follow Jesus by, being, uh, by following God's mission and being salt and light in this dark culture and world of ours. We are to be disciples on mission. And there are two things that we ought to consider carefully. The first is, is that we ought to stay focused on the mission. We must stay focused on the mission. Our passage this morning begins with one of the strangest stories that you're going to find in, in all of the Gospels. It's strange because Jesus' words and his actions are completely uh, contradictory to what we think we know about Jesus and his person and his, his character up to this point. Join me in verse 12. The next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. And so it's Jesus' humanity there. He, he had hunger and thirst. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. What in the world is Jesus doing here? Why did he curse this inanimate object of a fig tree? when it's not even the season for ripe figs. If you have an apple tree in your backyard, and in the spring, you go up to it, you're not going to find apples. But who among us would go up to your, uh, your apple tree in the spring see that there's no fruit and say, you are no good apple tree. I'm just going to cut you down. None of us would do that. That would be ridiculous, but that's what Jesus appears to do. And undoubtedly, his disciples uh, found this very odd as well. But looks can be deceiving. They don't know it yet. And as readers, uh, if this was our first time reading through it, we wouldn't know yet. But what Jesus is doing here is giving an object lesson. And what an object lesson is, is he was using this tree as a prop to show the failure of Israel to be the people that God called them to be and to do the things that God had called them to do. How do we know this? Let's read on in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those who, was, who were uh, buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those that were selling doves that would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? 
but you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus walks into the temple. He had been there the night before, took a look around and what was going on. And now today he walks into the temple and he sees two things that are very problematic. The first is the more common understanding of it. And that is that the, um, the leadership here is making an intense profit off of the sale of God's worship. It is the week of Passover, and so many people are coming from uh, all over the place to come and worship God at the temple. And if you are coming from all over, you, you don't want to bring large animals or, uh, or birds with you in order for the sacrifice. So what they would typically do is come to the temple, and that's where they would buy their sacrifice. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good service that they would provide for the people to come and, and worship. But the temple was overseen by this group called the Sadducees, who would radically inflate the price of these sacrifices in order to stuff their wallet. And we know that this was a, a large uh, profit because it was recorded in A.D. 66, so four years before Jerusalem got decimated by the, by the Romans, that uh, during this week, 255,600 lambs were sacrificed for the Passover. That's a lot of lamb chops, right? Now imagine if they were to put a uh, 6 or 10 or 20% tax or inflation on that, and all of that would go to them. That is a lot of money that goes into the bank accounts of these leaders. So obviously it was a huge slap in the face to God who desired to be worshipped, not profited by. But the subtle problem that Jesus recognizes here is Israel's neglect to make God's fame go global. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord appointed Israel to be a light to all the nations so that the world would see and recognize the glory of God as paramount, as the most important thing in the entire universe. And somewhere along the way, the Jews had, uh, uh, had forgotten that they were chosen by God's grace and had changed their attitude to thinking that there was something great about them and that they were very exclusivistic in who they, they were. They adopted this attitude of pride in which they believed themselves to be better than all the other nations, uh, meaning the, the Gentiles. They fell into this nationalistic exclusivism by which they held themselves not just as chosen, uh, not chosen by grace, but chosen by their merit. Because there's something great about them. This resulted in them turning up their noses at anyone who is not like them. Eventually hating those people. Now, in the temple, there were four courts. There was the holiest of the holies, which only the high priest could go into once a year. There was the court of the Jews, which mainly was only for Jewish men. There was a court uh, for women, which obviously you see the exclusivism of that. And then there was a court for Gentiles. 
a Gentile could go nowhere else except this specific place. In fact, if you wanted to walk out of the Gentile court, you would be met by this, uh, by this stone, and I have a picture of it uh, on here, that read in both Greek and Latin, no foreigner may enter within this uh, balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he be uh, shall he put blame for the death which will ensue? So if you're a Gentile trying to get into any Jewish part of this temple, I mean, there's your curse right before your eyes. There's a deep hatred there. And if you pay close attention to what Jesus is saying, this whole event happened in the court of the Gentiles. When Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. He is alluding to the fact that they are not only uh, uh, give, are, are, are saying that they are charging an, an exorbitant price for the sacrifices, but by having the court, uh, the, the, this market in the court of Gentiles, they are actually limiting the room for Gentiles to enter in and worship. And it was a common belief at that time that the Messiah would come and that he would rid the Jews of the Gentiles, especially in the temple. But here in his righteous indignation, notice that Jesus is not clearing and cleansing the temple of Gentiles for the Jews. He is clearing and cleansing the temple for the Gentiles. He is opening it up and saying that the worship of God is for everyone from every tongue and tribe and nation. It doesn't matter where you come from. He's making the case that the Jews were like the fig tree. They weren't producing fruit that God had desired. Instead, they were producing poison in which God would not be honored. And it's interesting here when we look at the dendrology of a fig tree because there's even more emphasis on this in the failure of Israel here. In Israel, the fig tree uh, harvest is usually between mid-August and, and mid-October or so. And this event here happened in March. In March, um, it's not as if nothing is happening. There might be something called a, a pagim, which is sort of like a little bulb or a little, uh, you know, once it flowers, it turns into something that will eventually become. You see this on apple trees all the time, that if you ate them, they would be bitter. And in Israel, it wasn't uncommon to, make, uh, to, to eat off of these little pagim, these little figs that were being uh, made. They were still edible, very common to eat. And Jesus even uses a circumstance like that to say that even the littlest bit of fruit that Israel uh, had produced wasn't doing what God wanted them to do. And here we are, 2,000 years later. And I have to wonder... Have we become like the Israel of old? We may not be trading and making profit. We operate on a very tight budget. and We have checks and balances to make sure that we are uh, dealing with our finances here in the, in the utmost integrity. Uh, but have we lost our zeal to ensure that the world would know about Jesus? Have we become so insulated that our faith is about us, our preferences, 
our likes, our desire. Would an unbeliever come to the church and see an inscription on the wall when they walk in saying, you are not welcome here? Maybe we don't hate outsiders like what was happening in this day. But have we become apathetic to reaching the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ? What about you personally? And sure, you want your children, your grandchildren to know about Jesus and what he has done to provide freedom from sin. But what about your neighbor? What about your coworker? What about the one in France or England or, or, or Sweden or Zimbabwe or China or Afghanistan or Iran or, uh, or Russia who have never even heard of the name of Jesus? Friends, people are dying and will spend an eternity in hell if we don't stay focused on the mission. And second, we need to recognize Jesus' authority. Jesus' actions in the temple that morning are an indictment to those of us who have inverted faith from glorifying God to glorifying ourselves. But if we see this, pas uh, this passage here in light of the divine authority of Jesus, then we realize that this is not only crushing to hypocrites like all of us, but it's also life-giving to those who recognize their spiritual poverty. This text here uh, is good news to the oppressed. It's good news to the marginalized. It is, uh, it is new life for those that are weighed down by sin and shame. With every table turned, with the words that he spoke, Jesus here was fighting for the weak, the needy, and the helpless. He was saying to them, whereas the world won't make room for you, I am flipping tables over so that you can have access to all that I am. And the leaders recognized this and they wanted to put an end to it. Look in verse 18. It says the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they started looking for a way to kill him. Well, why did they want to kill him? Look at verse 18. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. So they understood this, what Jesus was doing was an affront to their perceived authority here. And when it says that they started looking for a way to kill him, what they were looking for was a way to control the situation. They were looking for a way to have the crowd go away from Jesus and have the focus back on them. They, he was the embodiment of their loss of control. So what is the root sin here? It's fear. They were afraid of him. And fear is a powerful thing. Fear will lead you to do uh, lead you in an irrational thought that will make you believe 
that you need to take control of the situation and take it into your own hands. It is fear that will lead us to doubt what we know to be true in Christ. Fear and doubt will always separate us from Jesus and everything that he is for us. And when we recognize the authority of Jesus, we find that our fears and our anxieties will begin to falter. And instead of trusting in him, the chief priests here continue to dig their heels into judgment. But they know better than to challenge him right now. Uh, They're going to challenge him in our passage next week. But for now, they simply seethe in anger. And Jesus' authority over their judgment now is confirmed in verse 20. It says, Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. This is the only miracle of judgment that we see in any of the Gospels. It's a miracle that a tree would wither that quickly. You can put as much Roundup as you want in the bottom of a tree. It's going to take more than overnight in order for that to uh, kill it, if it even will. And it's an object lesson that comes to head. Yesterday morning, the fig tree wasn't in season to satisfy Jesus' hunger, so he cursed it. And as irrational as that sounds, uh, it was displaying that Israel had been expected to produce fruit and hadn't. The result was judgment. The result was God passing them over and accomplishing his mission now through Jesus. In him, he would bear the full weight of our sins. In him, he would take on our infirmities and our sicknesses, our fears and our anxieties. He took upon our sins, our suffering, and in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have new life. We're given that by God's grace through faith. And now in his authority, he has ordained the church to be the vehicle by which his glory is known throughout the world. It is the church that he is now tasked to take the good news of the gospel and the goodness and the glory of God uh, to, a dark, to a dark, lost, and dying world. In his last words to his disciples, in the gospel of Matthew anyway, uh, he gives them this charge. He says, uh, all authority has been given uh, all to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always till the end of the age. So why should we not fear going into our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, and into all the world with the good news? Because Jesus has the ultimate authority over everything. What does he say here? Some authority has been given to me. He says, all authority, everything is his because of his life, death, and resurrection. The mission is sure to succeed because Christ has all authority. The one who overturned tables can overturn your life and he can overturn the world. We simply need to trust in him, keep the mission in mind, and follow him wherever he 
leads. Friends, let's pray to that end.